zero. All engines running. Commit. Lift off. Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. And it is April 20th and it's guest day. Usually on guest day, it's just me, but our guest is so big today that Brad had to come in to give me some assistance. <laughs> no, because- <laughs> I, I just I had to come in and, and give our guests some some. Uh- you know some lip well uh, it's it's uh he's no stranger to swat radio he's been on here several times in fact uh you may have seen him on the uh, on the uh, youtube channel uh dr rick rigsby is a usa today amazon and wall street journal best-selling author he wrote uh, a book lessons from a third grade dropout And uh, he became an internet sensation after his first time on SWAT radio. It just went viral everywhere out there when they heard he was on. No, I'm joking. He was. It wasn't because he was on SWAT radio. He was actually. (laughs) He was speaking uh, at a uh, at a graduation, and uh, it was produced by Goldcast. uh, This speech on hope, and it was viewed by over 300 million people worldwide. And uh, he is a well-known motivational speaker. Uh, he's a founder of Rick Rigsby Communications, and uh, he he's been, been on everything from the Fortune five, for, uh, Fortune one hundred and five hundred companies to Fox News. He's been on uh, the Fox Business Channel. He's been on Huckabee, um, uh, all kinds of different news things, service organizations, professional sports, including the NFL and PGA, and he uh, he's. You may not know it. He's also a former award-winning journalist, uh, college professor, and a football coach at A and M. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'd like uh, for you guys just to welcome Dr. Rick Rigsby to SWAT Radio. Rick, welcome back. Doug, what a privilege to always be on SWAT Radio, and uh, I'm even excited to talk to Brad. Hey, what's Brad? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Rick, I almost, I mean, I, seriously, I was so close to picking up Jenkins barbecue just so, <laughs> just so Doug and I could sit in here and just, you know, gloat. I remember one afternoon quite vividly. It was after a promise keepers. Doug took me to this place. And anytime you see on the menu smoked bologna sandwich, you know you got a winner baby come on bring it bring it and and he was real skeptical about when i told him i remember i said rick i'm gonna take you to the best barbecue place in town he goes now yeah right right Uh like well uh and so but he said when he got there and he saw that that guy (laughs) cooking the smoke well they offered a smoke bologna and he goes this has got to be a good place plus he was a pretty big brother too wasn't he sweating in there behind that grill you knew you were in a good place then right you knew you were in a good place there's no doubt about it and you know doug it was nothing really against you (laughs) i mean here you are the the typical all-american hero from fighter pilot great godly man godly husband but it was like asking beaver cleaver where's the funk party (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, (laughs) that is funny. Well, you know, Rick, our our relationship goes back, uh, gosh, about eleven years now, twelve years. Yeah, I was going to say probably two thousand nine. Yeah, to to, to, to men at the cross when we we did that here in Jacksonville, and 
you know, I knew the first time I met you that you were the real deal. And I, I've always appreciated that about you, even in spite of how God's kind of blown up your uh, your ministry and platform. Um, you, you know, when I talk to you, I, you and I talk about the Lord. We talk about what's really important. And um, and I appreciate that about you. And so thank you for coming back on our little small radio <laughs> broadcast because uh, we ain't Fox News, man. <laughs> you know. So first of all, Doug and Brad, I, I appreciate the invitation always. And I just want to comment on that. I, I find it amazing. I think that God could pull the plug on any of us at any time. And I think one of the reasons God pulls the plug is when we start to smell our, our own press. We mm. actually start not only smell it but believe it mm-hmm. i got it can i tell you a really quick story yeah i was having uh, uh i was privileged and i even requested it to have lunch with the late great howard hendricks for those of you in the radio audience who don't know he was the the, <clears throat> the the prince if charles spurgeon was the prince of preachers this was the prince of teaching professor yes no was. doubt and he taught at theological seminary every he was known as prop howard so Dallas Theological was paying me some great, amazing sum, to, and I just told him to keep it. <laughs> it probably like three or four. Anyway, they, they, were, they had a nice, modest little honorarium, and I really wanted it to go back to them. I said, I do have one request. Is there any way that I could meet Prof. Howard? This was years ago. When I met him, uh, he was really struggling in his battle with cancer, but was still alert in his mind. He offered to have lunch with me. So over a sack lunch, we talked. He comes to chapel service, which is rather intimidating. Yeah. I mean, you got white Pentecost. you got all these great, you know, Bible teachers and scholars. But here's the point. Over lunch, uh, Prof. Howard said, Ricky, do you, he called me Ricky. He goes, <laughs> Ricky, do you know what your problem is? And I said, I, I wanted to say, hey, 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 just. Slow your roll. But, you know, I'm respecting him. And I said, no, sir, what, what is my problem? He said, your problem is you just wowed them in, in, uh, in seminary. He said, do you know what my problem is? I said, what, Prof? He said, a couple of hours from now, big donors will come to the school, deep pockets, and I will wow them. He said, do you know what the problem is for men and women like me and you? I said, what? He said, at some point, we start to believe our own press. Mm-hmm. I, I want to tell you all. That was probably 15, 20 years ago. That still gives me cold chills Mm -hmm. every time I think about that. Lord, don't pull the plug Mm -hmm. because Doug or I or Brad start to believe our own press. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good word. Well, you know, Rick, you've had a very varied career path. I mean, you've been a college professor, a chaplain, a coach, a pastor. Uh, When you think about all those different experiences – how has that influenced your message and your approach to speaking today when you go out and speak? Well, first of all, let me tell your audience, I wasn't qualified for any position I've held. <laughs> <laughs> takes one to know one. <clears throat> My gosh. You know, I remember, and I'll answer your question, but I go back to 1978, the day before I graduated from college. I had been interning at this television station, and they hired me the day before. I wasn't qualified. I I leave college. I start a master's program at the university I graduated from. A requirement was to teach. I certainly wasn't qualified, scared to death. Graduate from that program, graduate with my Ph.D. I'm learning. I'm learning about things, but I'm not 
teaching, don't have a whole lot of teaching experience. Started teaching at the university level, not qualified. In the middle of a Ph.D. program, in the middle of a – this, is, I hope, will encourage somebody. In the middle of a Ph.D. program, God calls me to preach in 1988. Mm. Start preaching, not qualified. Mm. <laughs> Start teaching at Texas A&M, and somebody asked me, just kind of as an aside, would you be interested in going and speaking at an agricultural business summit? I said, no. <laughs> when they told me how much, I said, yes. And went there, started speaking. It, offers started coming in. I'm not qualified. You know, here's the deal. My model is this, and it's shaped my message, and, and it's timely with regard to the passing of Charles Stanley. My, my model really comes... When, when Jesus said to Peter, come. Because every time Jesus issues that statement, qualified or not, it requires faith to take one step. Mm-hmm. But that taking that one step, you begin to see his supernatural power. Mm-hmm. Charles Stanley made this observation over and over and over. It's something that he learned from his grandfather. I know you all know this. Charles Stanley, Reverend Stanley said, he said, I have learned to obey God and leave the consequences to him. Mm-hmm. How has that shaped my message? The, the most profound message I have came during the darkest days of my life. And it was when I'm standing at a cas- in front of a casket with my little children when my first wife had passed away. And I can hear Jesus talking to me 27 years ago, as clearly as I'm speaking to you now. At that casket, Jesus said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And then said, come, come. And I I would have had no idea, Doug and Brad, 27 years ago, that he would use a broken man to offer words of hope all over the world. And what do I offer? It's not even me. I can't even take credit for it. On my worst day, in that funeral home, in front of that casket, I look at my daddy, the wisest man I ever met in my life, that third grade dropout. I said, Daddy, I've lost hope. And my daddy said these words, Son, you can't lose something God gave you. You haven't lost hope. You've lost perspective. Now, son, just stand. I wasn't even qualified to be a motivational speaker. I am just that kind of person, probably like you, Doug. A lot of the makeup of being a fighter pilot, I think, is showing up to when to the point that when Jesus says, come, no matter even if you don't think you can do it, all of a sudden your foot is in front of the other and you're walking toward him. Well, I think back to, I, I've heard your story. And by the way, if if you're just <coughs> tuning in to SWAT Radio, we're, we are talking to Dr. Rick Rigsby. And if you have not gotten his book, you can go to Amazon.com. You can go to his website, rickrigsby.com, and get it. Um, and uh, he is, uh, the, the book is Lessons from a Third grade dropout he also has another book i think afraid to hope is that right that's right afraid to hope yes, yeah sir. so both those books you can get but rick i think the thing that blows me away about the way god has called you and he used your father in your life 
Uh, your yeah. father, who was a third grade dropout, you said was the wisest man you know. You and your, you, in fact, if I remember right, your brother is a judge, isn't he? Somewhere, isn't he? Isn't he a, a, a judge? Or is he still a presidential judge? appointed judge in D.C.? Can yeah. you believe that? Yeah. So you hmm. and your brother, you've got something like three or four degrees. He's a judge. Your dad was a third grade dropout who was a cook, and 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 he was the wisest man you know. Talk a little yeah. bit about how important it is for parents to speak into their lives of their children today even though their children may not be wanting that were you I, I just can't imagine you're like me or any other guy who was sitting there uh looking at your dad like what does he know you know or or, or like uh you know I, I i i you know he doesn't know that much or whatever even though he's giving you all this stuff uh speak a little bit about that rick because i'm sure you went through that stage too didn't you Oh, absolutely. All I wanted to do when I was a kid growing up in the 60s was watch the Three Stooges and Gilligan's <laughs> Island. I, I didn't want to hear my dad talk. I mean, I, I would do anything to avoid it. And then what happens is you, you go through some difficult times in life and you realize my country mother wasn't so dumb and my <laughs> third grade dropout daddy was pretty smart. You know the thing that I think that my folks did, and I get a chance to share this with men everywhere. They prepared me for life by example, mostly. I, I, I think the greatest thing we men can do for our children is to let our children see us love their mother. Mm-hmm. And I watch that. I learned the Word of God sitting on my mother's knee. I watched the Word of God modeled in my home. Now, I was reluctant. I went to college, smoked weed, partied, did everything that I'm very ashamed about now. However, that word was still in me. The Bible says the word will not return void. I go through some really difficult times, and I begin to hearken back to simple lessons like, son, don't judge people. You'd rather be an hour early than a minute late. How you do anything is how you do everything. It's never wrong to do the right thing. But, to, but germane to your, to your question and to get back on point, I think the most profound thing we can do is to let our children see us love unconditionally to let our children see to let our children see us to let our great aim be love without expecting to be loved in return you talk about strengthening the core is ever a time to strengthen the core this time of of tremendous postmodernity is is such a time and by the way postmodernity is nothing new if you go to if you go to judges 17:6 i believe the, the people of Israel didn't want a king. They were left up to do whatever they saw fit to do. Mm-hmm. That is a classic example of, of a society off the rails, turning its back against God. And what happens? The core of our spirituality weakens. You know, mm-hmm. my folk practiced the basics. They lived mm-hmm. the basics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at church history, uh, the, the the first couple of hundred years after the resurrection, you see Christianity grow the greatest. And it wasn't because of a whole lot of preachers that were famous, and it wasn't because of a whole lot of church buildings. But they simply, unwittingly, they practiced the big three, according to my friend Dwight Edwards, who wrote Game Changing Christianity. Hmm. And I'm not talking Ford, Chrysler, and GM. I'm talking faith, love, and hope, found in, like, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. That's the way the gospel spread. Well, guess what? That was my foundation. That was Bobby's foundation. 
And no matter how far we strayed, that was still in our core. It just took the right storm to get us to pray right. Mm-hmm. You know, people will say, Rick, God doesn't speak to me. I'll say to them, you ain't been in the right storm. <laughs> uh, people will say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know if I can. You just ain't been in the right storm. Mm-hmm. You get in the right storm, and all of a sudden you will hear God crystal clearly, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that that it would be the answer to my question. It was modeled. You, you really want to see something achieved, model the behavior. You really want to see something indelibly etched upon the heart of those around you, model the behavior. You know, parents can say over and over, don't do that. But what if parents did the right thing? Hmm. What if parents honored the Lord, their God, with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their might? What if parents said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord? i, I got to calm down. I'm starting to get fired up. But I want to tell you, my, <laughs> my kids went to Christian school. Christian school can't do it alone, Doug. Yeah. Yeah. Christian yeah. school can't do it alone, Brad. Yeah. You can have your kids in Christian school for 29 years, but if you act like hell at home, guess what? The core will not be strong. Yeah, what is remember, it, Rick? What is it they say that that more is caught than taught? That's right. That's exactly right, Brad. Hey, Doug, he's smarter than you said he was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Rick. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking of is that uh, growing up, it, it's it's just such a very different time today. Now there's no spanking. You know, no real yeah. accountability. When I was growing up, I was spanked by my cousins, my uncles, my neighbors, everybody. <laughs> like, everybody got in on that action, right? Oh, Doug, we couldn't even have this conversation <laughs> You know what's funny, Brad and Doug? If I got in trouble at your house, Doug, your mother would spank my behind, call my mama, and I'd get another one when I got home. Yep. <laughs> now, it's the popo, it's the defense attorney, and you're labeled a bad parent. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The Bible says, spoil the rod. I mean, I'm sorry, spare the rod, spoil the child. Mm-hmm. That's not something Confucius said. That's, that's not something Nietzsche said or something Aristotle said. That's the holy word of God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I have to bite my tongue with my grandchildren, y'all. Because <laughs> I, got, I got these Gen X millennial kids, and they'll, they'll talk to my grandkids. They'll go, one, two, <laughs> three, and, you nuts! The kid out. He knows when it's nine. He can act a fool until it's nine. And so you know, I just I am with you. It's a it's a whole different day. And guess what? It's produced yeah. snowflakes. Yep. One yep. of the hardest parts of being on a Division One football coaching staff. I don't care where you coach. One of the hardest parts dealing with parents. Mm-hmm. Can I just imitate one? Why don't you like our son anymore? <laughs> and you want to you know he shows up late for meetings. He sleeps during the meeting. He misses his assignments. He's always late to practice. He has a hard time with the basics. We have to talk about the fundamentals, even though we're in week 10 of the season. Other than that, he's a model player. <laughs> oh, RC wouldn't have put up with that stuff, would he? And he didn't. Yeah. See, That's why y'all won. Yeah. Coach Slocum was a throwback. I can count them. I can count the one. You know, Coach Osborne, he was a throwback. Uh-huh. Coach Grant Taft, they were throwbacks. Mm-hmm. It was about being a great person first, a great student second, and a great player was a bonus. Mm-hmm. Now, now, guess what we have now, you guys? 
well, if I don't like Coach Doug and if I don't like Coach Brad, I'll enter, I'll enter the, the transfer portal, yeah. and I'll just go somewhere else where they'll like me and when life will be easy. Well, here's the deal. What are the repercussions of that? What are we teaching young people? We're teaching them that struggle is bad, that yep. struggle doesn't build character, that struggle doesn't build resilience. And just quit. Just give up. Yeah. Contrast that to the, the lesson I learned, the most profound lesson. Hey, son, you're hurting. You think your life's over. You're, you're lonely, beyond despair. You feel like dying. You feel like committing suicide. But I'm standing here telling you to keep standing. Mm. Yeah, that's what he told you at the casket, right? I mean, like, I I mean, that's, you know, Rick, we live in a time right now that I've said at least probably a half dozen times in the past couple of weeks that it it really looks like the Lord's coming back. Like, I mean, like the everything going on with China, everything going on with Russia, everything going on with AI and and the world that the world we live in, we've basically thrown common sense and logic out the window in our country. Would you agree with that? I know you travel Doug, quite I a lot. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I I just think that it's a uh, it's a time like none other that I've studied that appears to be ushering in the second coming Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. I think every sign points to it. Every single sign points to it. And so the question becomes, are we ready? Are we, are we, are we, as a man, I'm asking myself every day, am I walking in a manner worthy of the calling? Mm -hmm. And am I prepared to see my savior? What do I need to do this day to honor God even more so than I honored God yesterday? And I I just think that uh, this global culture, I think the major exigence is the fact that that we have literally said, uh, we don't need you, God. We don't want you, God. We are rejecting you, just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And exigence, by the way, is is an imperfection marked by an urgency. So the imperfection, we've strayed away from the Word of God. The urgency, God is under assault, and folks are dying and going to hell every day without knowing His Son. You know, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's exactly where we are right now. All signs point to His coming, Doug, you're right. I mentioned postmodernism, that skeptical, cynical, subjective theory. What does it do at its core? It rejects the sovereign God and and absolute truth, instead advocating for what? This independent kind of individualism? That just doesn't work well for me, and I know it doesn't work well for y'all. No. But it it points to Jesus coming. Hmm. We are morally bankrupt. Can y'all remember any time—I'm 67. Doug, I don't know how old you are. 62. I don't know how old you are. I'll be 60 tomorrow. So we're all in our 60s. birthday brother welcome to the club <laughs> i don't remember any time in my lifetime where we have been more morally back bankrupt and spiritually depleted and that includes the protests of the 1960s even in the protests of the 1960s there were guys like chuck smith who said bring the hippies into my house yeah i'll teach them the word of god hmm. we have never been moral more morally bankrupt in my time <laughs> now we have been in previous times, but morally bankrupt, 
spiritually depleted, all kinds of leaks, wars, rumors of wars. Watch this. Kids killing parents. Mm-hmm. Yep. Folks completely, totally out of control. Every Earthquakes, calamities of every kind. Oh, dear God, come Jesus. Yeah, that's what my wife says. <clears throat> come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Right? Come quickly. Yeah. Well, you know, you it, know yeah, go ahead. Getting back, to, getting back to your point about how, how did my dad produce what he produced and my mom. I remember at A&M, I would see some strong Christians, not, not all, but a number. And I would always make it my point if the opportunity came up, usually in my office talking to them, I would ask, what, what, what has made the biggest difference in your core? in your Christian walk. You, you want to hear the, the number one answer? Yeah. Watching my parents model Christ at home. Hmm. And, and so while we're waiting, there's still work to do. Mm-hmm. Longing and hoping for his return. <clears throat> there's still great work that we can do, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it, it, it goes back to that the basics. Of, can I read the scripture? Just listen to this. I just pulled it up on my, my computer. It's First Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. Here's how the gospel spread exponentially in the first 300 years after Jesus was resurrected. Paul, we always thank God for all of you and pray constantly. As we pray to God our Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and hope. I don't want our friends that listen to SWAT radio to think that all is lost. I do want them to be reminded that we're in a war. Mm-hmm. And in a war, you arm yourselves. And we arm ourselves with the Word of God. And we model faith, love, and hope, regardless of what the scoreboard says. You just play the next play. Ooh, that ain't bad. <laughs> just play the next play. <clears throat> Sounds like a coach said that. Come on. Yeah. Well, and, and Rick, you know, I i couldn't agree more I, in fact it's interesting you know i'm from houston like my 87 year old dad may be tuning in he he often listens and you know for me when i look back over uh, what tomorrow will be 60 years and i would say outside of god's word and god's spirit my mom and dad and how they modeled their love for one another and not in the good times it was in the tough times it was in those yeah. storms and i you know i tell you multiple generations got to watch my dad love his bride you know in 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 sickness and in health and it was really in the sickness that it had the greatest impact on us brad that oh my gosh you don't even know how you're blessing me hey i hope you guys if you haven't had franklin graham on your show see if you can talk to the folks and get franklin on your show he, I, I always wanted to know, what was it about your parents that caused you to, to come back around? And, and simply and unwittingly, without taking any of his steam away, he said he knew his folks loved him, and, and they prayed for him. They loved him unconditionally, and they prayed for him. Now, I would imagine being a rebel when your folks are some of the most famous people in the world. That, that was a major, could have been a major embarrassment. That was a difficult time. But look at the way that God works when you have praying parents. Brad, as you were talking, you know what I was thinking about? 
It's one thing to model Christ when everything is going good, when mama is well, when daddy is well. It's another thing to show your kids how to live for Christ when things aren't going so well. I, I, I remember being called to my dad's bedside. Rick, Rick, hey, I got to interrupt you because we we got to go to a hard break on the half hour. But when we come back, I want you to pick up going to your dad's bedside. Yes. All right. Nope. All right. I'm not. I'm no. No. (laughs) That's a good tease. Hey, you're listening to SWAT SWAT Radio. I got Rick Rigsby on here. Uh, Dr. Rick Rigsby, that is. And uh, me and Brad, we'll be back after this news break with more If you want his book, go to Amazon.com. What we want to do is be people who are grateful and thankful people. This is Focus on the Family Minute with Jim Burns. Be people who who really literally practice what I call thank therapy. Thank therapy means, you know, you can gripe about anything, but you can also find reasons to be thankful. And I find that people who are grateful, thankful people um, in the empty nest are people who are those beautiful people that you're talking about. And I find that people who, are, who get bitter are people who aren't focusing on reasons why they're thankful. We got a lot of, I mean, it's a crazy culture. It's a crazy world. We can get all busted up about that. But we can also be people who say, I'm grateful for what God has done in my life. I'm grateful for my family. I'm, and just start naming why we're grateful. And it's the simple things. And in that, I don't think you can be a curmudgeon then. More from Jim on having a thankful heart at familyminute.org. There's major delays because of a crash in St. John's County on I-95 northbound at State Road 207, blocking the left lane. Also, there's a vehicle on fire on I-10 eastbound at the ramp to I-95 northbound, closing the ramp. And there's a multi-vehicle crash on I-95 southbound at Emerson Street. Mostly clear and breezy tonight, low 62, Friday sunny, high 83. From the Traffic and Weather Center, I'm AJ. SWAT Radio, it's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries and uh, Brad Sykes in here with me today as we're talking to, uh, uh, he's got a lot of titles. I think my favorite title, though, is he's just my friend, Rick Rigsby. Uh, he, I've known Rick for a long time, and uh, I think Brad, did, well, you met him too. Yeah, same, same time. time. Yep. Yeah, back then. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I love about Dr. Rigsby is... Uh, just his approachability and um, his his and his willingness to keep the Lord the focus. I I, I shared with him during the break that I, I I caught a couple of his podcasts that he was were on other people's programs or news programs and just how he keeps the Lord at the center. And uh, Rick, you were telling us before we went to break about a time your dad approached you or you approached him. And uh, I want to go back to that story and let you finish that before we go on. Absolutely. So uh, I'm a professor at a and I'm in College Station, Texas. My 
my mom and dad are in uh, Vallejo, California, which is a suburb of San Francisco, about 27 miles north of the city. And so this was 1997, and we knew that dad was, was sick. Uh, it was about a year after Trina went home, and he was just getting worse and worse. I remember, by the way, he asked me, he said, Ricky, I'm going to leave it up to you. Do, do, I don't want to take this chemotherapy. And I said, Dad, you're 77. You've earned the right to do whatever you want. And he chose, for whatever his reasons, not to do chemo. Mm-hmm. And he would pass away a year later, about a week before he went home. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother called me in hysterics and said, they're about to put Daddy on morphine. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have one more conversation with your father, you need, you need to call him. I got on a plane. And I went to his side, and we had a wonderful conversation. Uh, and and at the end of the conversation, I just, I don't know why I said this, but I said, Daddy, are you scared? He goes, am I scared? No, what? no sir. I get, I get to go home, son. Now, this is what I want you to do. You, you and your brother carry on. I, I've had a great life. I married a great wife. I produced some fine sons. Time for y'all to carry on. And as I flew back to Texas, crying, realizing I'd be flying out in a day or two for a funeral, I couldn't help but think, my father was teaching me how to exit a situation. Mm. All his life, he had taught me how a man exits a situation speaks volumes about his character. He was actually teaching me how a godly man goes home. Wow, that's great. And and it to this day uh, from time to time I think about my time and how I want to be able to model that for my four sons, hmm. for my grandchildren, for my wife. Yes, it will be a sad time. But what a profound statement that as you're about to fold up your tent and change your address, you are passing on a legacy is the way you meet your Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, in, 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 in your book, Lessons from a Third Grade Dropout, all that draws on your different experiences growing up and the lessons you learned from your dad. Um, yeah. You know, can, there was one that you shared with us, either two programs ago you were on or three, about a summer job you had or something. Do you remember sharing that story? I can't remember it exactly, but you yeah, were... do I ever. Okay, tell us about yeah. that one again. I want I want our <laughs> listeners cuz we got a bunch of new listeners in different places. Uh, tell us about that story cuz I I remember the story essence, but I just couldn't remember the specifics of it. Well, I come from a predominantly black family. That's <laughs> what you're you know, going into this story. Yeah. And so it's 1972, I'm 16 years old. My folks allow me to get a job at Jack in the Box. Now, Jack in the Box, if you don't have those in Florida, it's just a typical hamburger restaurant, right? Yes. Fast food restaurant. And I'm, I'm cool as long as I'm frying burgers and, you know, frying tacos and hot apple pies. I'm good. But one day I come home really pouting. And my father, who had the 5 in the morning, the 1 o'clock shift, so he was always home when I came home in the afternoon, after school, after working a four-hour shift, I walk in pouting, and my father said, what's wrong, son? And I said, Daddy, that white man over there at Jack in the Box told me that I had to scrub toilets. I don't scrub nobody's toilet. Now, keep in mind, 1972, 
We're we're on the the heels of black power. It's all about you know. It's all it's all about asserting yourself, and it's the white man and the black man, and and so on and so forth. And I'm caught up in that. 1972. I don't scrub nobody's toilets. That white man told me to scrub toilets. My father didn't raise his voice, Doug. Didn't raise his voice, Brad. He said, uh, son, do you have a boss over there? Yes, sir. What's your boss's name? I could tell this wasn't going well. <laughs> he said, whatever that boss tells you to do, you do it. And when you're the boss, you make the rules. What does the color of your boss's skin have to do with you displaying excellence? You're representing our name, son. And then this is the part that hurt. Leave your car in the driveway right where it is. This is what I want you to do. Walk back to Jack in the Box. (laughs) Tell your supervisor that your daddy said that you want to volunteer for another four-hour shift, eight hours if if he can give it to you. And, and you're volunteering, and all you want to do is to scrub toilets, and when you get done scrubbing <laughs> toilets, I want you to scrub gutters. <laughs> now, that, that parent today, where, 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 where is that parent today? Yeah. Here's the way that parent today would sound in this modern family kind of, I want to be your buddy kind of parenthood. You mean that, that boss told you to scrub toilets? Well... I've got a word for him, G. Manitley. You stay right here in this air-conditioned home, and I'll go to Jack in the Box, and I'll tell that man just how we feel. Nope. Oh, no. Oh, no. My father wasn't interested in rearing black men. He was interested in rearing godly men who would someday impact the world by serving the world. Mm. And somehow we've, uh, like like the group for him used to say, we, we've drifted, we've drifted. From the virtues that once we held tight, huh. and so that that is one of that's an embarrassing story, but I think that's the one you refer. Yeah, to. it is. Well, the book is Lessons from a Third Grade Dropout. You can go to Amazon.com or RickRigsby.com and get that. Um, you know, Rick, you, you bring up a good point. You, you said your dad wasn't interested in raising black men, but just men. Right. Um, uh, in our current culture. Uh, where racial strife is, listen, I want to acknowledge that that there have been very painful things that have happened to people because of skin color in our country. There's yeah. no question about that. Um, but I also know that, that that there's been a lot of people who, regardless of skin color, uh, do bad things, and so yeah. we, we we are thrown into an environment now where the media and everybody is pitting people against each other because of skin color. And I've always uh, contested that as a believer, there's two types of people, not black and white, but there's believers and unbelievers. There's people that follow Amen. God and people that don't follow God. And and so when you think about it from your perspective, like I said, growing up in a predominantly black family, you said, um, could you speak to the racial strife versus what I see as the bigger problem is the the lack of fathers, the lack of men being godly men in this country? Sure. Two, two thoughts. My father was a, obviously a black man and, and was judged his whole life. Guess what changed him? When he joined the United States Army, 
and he's in he is now in a desegregated army in the foxhole where it didn't matter what color you were in the foxhole. He comes out of the army with his GI Bill and moves to the Bay Area. And on our block, where when I grew up, we had Filipino, Hispanic, black, and white. That's right. In one day, in one week, you could eat anything from fried chicken to menudo to hamburger helper. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, and 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 I I think what the way that he reared us. I mean, it's not by accident that the first value that he taught me was to not judge people. And you know, he was a disciple of Martin Luther King Jr., who just really said that we we ought judge people not by the color of their skin, but by the content of of their character. This is what's happened. Just like so many things in our society, in a shallow, superficial culture where thinking has been replaced by being entertained, Mm -hmm. we politicize anything because it's easy. Now, this points to a much deeper issue to me, twofold. Number one, the inverse relationship of technology. Number two, and more germane to our conversation, a breakdown of the family. I get criticized for saying this, Doug and Brad, but I, I continue to say it because I believe it far more significant than the racial issue in America, and it is significant. There is no doubt about it. Far more significant, a breakdown in the family structure. Mm -hmm. That family structure combats all kinds of isms, every kind of ism there is. And so this whole notion of let's just politicize the issue speaks to easy, right? Yeah. Well, when you read the Bible, it, the Bible could be subtext, do hard better. Let me say it again. <laughs> do hard better. I want to invite your, your listeners to listen to a great TED Talk worth listening to. It's by, uh, by Dr. Elmore. His first name is Timothy Elmore. And, and Timothy Elmore uh, gives this amazing TED Talk where he looks at the inverse relationship of technology uh, in, in our society, and his thesis is real simple, that technology is not the problem. The problem is our inability to manage it with our humanness. And here's his point. He says, if you look at technology today, it is stripping us, because of our inability to manage it, it's stripping us from important things. For example, it's not called Graham, it's called Instagram, because everything is fast, 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 to the point that our kids might think slow is bad. Mm-hmm. Everything is convenient, stripping us from working hard and labor to the point that our kids might think hard is bad, so on and so forth. Well, whenever you politicize an issue, it really excuses you from thinking through, thinking about, and debating the issue. Mm-hmm. Let, let me tell you another side effect of that. I was on the Fox show, mm-hmm. on uh, Mr. Payne's show, Charles Payne's show. Yeah. Here, was, here, was the, here was the setup. It was right before Christmas. How do you put a liberal and a conservative at the Christmas table without them killing each other? (laughs) And my response was, have we forgotten what our folks tried to teach us? And my example was, here's a classic example of civility, folks. On my block, you have all these ethnicities. And in California, the weather is so mild so much of the year, you could sit outside on porches where my parents would debate vociferously the issues of the day. There were conservatives, there were liberals, there were blacks, browns, whites, and they argued. 
They argued. Mm. But at the end of the night, they got up and hugged. They got up and shook hands. You see, we've taken certain things out of our culture that are biblical in light of politicizing the issue because we're too lazy to think. And that laziness is spilled over to the fact that, well, you know, if it's slow, it's bad. It's going to require more. It's probably going to be hard. It's going to require more. And so it's a lot easier to just hear this or hear that and politicize issues. And so now back to racism. You see the culture, the environment, the nomenclature that racism exists because slow and and hard and challenging is what makes a person depend on the Lord. Well, with a lessening dependence upon Almighty God, we're going to stray from his heart. And so we're going to judge people based on the color of their skin. Regardless of whether you're white or brown or black, everything is going to be shaded in racial tones instead of saying, wait a minute, let's, let's have dinner with this guy. Let's, let's, I, I watched the movie Guess Who's Coming to Dinner very intentionally because that movie is so profound. Y'all remember the one, Spencer Tracy, yeah. Catherine Hepburn, Sydney Poitier? Yes. Sydney Poitier. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. The movie is so profound because the whole point of the movie is this. Which person are you? Oh, baby. And there's no place to run, no place to hide. And ironically, the biggest racist is Sidney Poitier, the black man's father. Mm. You see, it's not about race as much as it is about straying from a sovereign God. Mm -hmm. And I just can't make that statement more. I can't make it more profound. We have strayed away from the word of God. Racial issues are as historical as man himself. Mm-hmm. But how did they how did they how did they come together? Look at the Council of Jerusalem, Acts fifteen. It was the word of God that was the turning point as they reasoned together. And so <clears throat> bottom line, and I hope this answers your question, Doug, we need to focus less on what divides us in terms of color. Focus more on am I being the godly man, the godly woman in my home that God requires me to be? And if so, what am I modeling and what am I teaching? I mean, Deuteronomy 6 is very clear on what we ought to be modeling and what we ought to be teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You know, Rick, I, I was just thinking about what, as you were sharing, uh, Doug let me teach SWAT yesterday, and I was I went back and was was looking at a word study of the word you used a minute ago uh, on reasoning. You know, where Paul comes into Ephesus, he comes into Corinth, he comes into Malta, and what does he do? He reasons with them. We've lost the art of reasoning, you know? Oh, my God. It's like, I don't like what you said, therefore, I'm done with you. <laughs> I'm going to shoot you, or all whites are that way, mm. or all blacks are that way. You know what I would show my students? I would show my students a civil debate. And I love to show the Mondale-Reagan debates. And they couldn't believe that civility existed (laughs) 20 years prior. They were shocked. Because now it's all about shock and awe and I don't like you because of what you said. And as a result, I can't stand your mama, your skin color, or the car you drive. (laughs) Listen to how stupid that sounds. 
Yeah, it really does. You know, Rick, do you still have your meetings with your guys? I forgot what y'all are called, but the guys that sit around and have these nice debates on politics and religion and everything. Alley cats. Yeah, your alley cats. Are you still doing that? Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, you know why? You can't learn anything from somebody that agrees with you. Yeah, you amen. Gotta, yeah, you got to have some folks that go, Rick, you suck. I don't <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it's funny, Rick. I, I lead groups to Israel every year and going over there and talking to people, learning the Jewish way, the Jewish context. And I, there was a yeah. story was told one time of a rabbi. Two of these rabbis were they notorious for just always going at each other's throats. And when the one rabbi died, uh, people came up to the other guy and goes, well, I, I guess, you know, why are you looking so sad? You were always at each other's throats. He goes, I have nobody to make me sharper now, you know, because yeah. that was the way he looked at it. They they would sharpen each other. If we're all just the same color, if we're all in, in, in our speech and the things we think about, we never sharpen one another, right? You're, you're right. And, and, and combine that, Doug, with focusing on the wrong thing. You know, Robin Sharma said the average person is distracted a minimum of two hours every day, interrupted every 11 minutes. Then it takes 30 minutes to return back to a deep level of thinking. We're distracted over things that don't amount to a hill of beans. And so as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about two gents that, that discuss serious spiritual issues. And, and, and one was named J.R.R. Tolkien. You probably heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the other was pretty pretty decent fellow and writer by the name of C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And they would meet in a pub. Yep. And they'd have a cigar. And, and they'd have a drink. And we can't get past the cigar and drink <laughs> to look at what they were doing. Yeah. They were reasoning together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I, we probably are probably going to get some hate mail. Oh, no. Well, listen, the first time you were on, I think you offended Chinese, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and a lot of people. So uh, that's all right. We're kind of used to it with you. Uh, but that's okay. all right. Hey, you know, one of the things you say a lot is, and I think you learned this from your dad, too, is he told you to inconvenience yourself or he taught you to inconvenience yes. yourself for the sake of others speak to that in our current culture of entitlement um yeah uh, uh, talk, oh man talk Doug, a little bit about you. that thank you so much for that my, my my father his his big point was this you'd rather be an hour early than a minute late i didn't have the guts to say anything from age five to about <laughs> 17 18 i'm about 18 years old and i go dad that just doesn't make sense and he said son maybe this will help what daddy is really saying is it's not about you. It's about everybody else. Learn to inconvenience yourself for the sake of others. And I got it. I mean, I got it. I'm not saying that I practiced it all the time, but if you, if you function like that, you won't have any traffic jams on any roads in this culture today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not in a culture where it's all about me, but I remember somebody that came to serve. Yeah. And that's exactly what my father was saying. I don't think my father could could exegete the book of Mark, but his son can, thanks to Liberty University. Mm -hmm. His son can tell you that there's 16 riveting chapters that lead to, to a couple of conclusions. Mm -hmm. uh, he came to serve, he came to suffer, he came to die, and in the process, he overturned the normative values of a society that had gone against God. Mm -hmm. My father was saying, swim against the current, son. Make sure every day you swim against the current. 
It is okay for you. In fact, not only is it okay, I, I would I would strongly recommend that you get used to inconveniencing yourself. And that, that way you will be useful. You will be helpful. Uh, trust me when I tell you not a lot of folks think this way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, Doug and Brad, if you talk to your grandparents, their wisdom may be more profound than any graduate school in America. Mm-hmm. Trust me when I tell you that. Yeah. They just had a wisdom set. I mean, how else do you move from generation to generation? How else do you advance a family? And so to this very day, guess what I do? Going back to my dad's lesson. I go into a restroom. I actually look for a paper towel on the ground. Actually look for it. Why? I want that restroom to be in better shape than when I encountered it. I want it to be in better shape for the next person going in. What would happen at the next traffic jam? You, somebody might be listening to me right now in the middle of a traffic jam. What would happen instead of speeding up if you inconvenience yourself and let them in? It would shock them. And, yes, you would be a second and a half later to your destination. But you would literally shock them. Well, guess what Jesus did? He shocked people. You're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. He stands up, takes off the only thing that girds him, and starts washing their feet. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Christians were supposed to be different. That's what my dad was saying. Well, he also said, uh, I think it was him, or maybe it was just you paraphrasing, but, you know, do we want to have a uh, make an impact or do we want to leave, leave an impression on somebody? Yeah, and, you know, I have done a lot of thinking about that over the last 30 years. Let me, let me, let me boil it down to this. We talk a, a whole lot about what our legacy will be. Legacy is how we want to be remembered. Impact is why people will never forget us. Mm. That's why my father was talking constantly. Impact. Impact pushes you past, Ricky, all all of the theatrics. Impact pushes you past how you present. Pushes you past all them fancy words you learned in graduate school. Impact means strengthening your servant's towel. Impact means growing your influence. What did you say, John Maxwell? Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Mm -hmm. Impact involves literally looking around and asking yourself, what can I do so that I can answer the how question? Mm -hmm. How can I advance the kingdom of God with what I have? That's what my dad was all about. Mm -hmm. It, It was real simple. His spirituality, I should say his theology, was real simple. It it, it could be summed up in an Arthur Ashe line. The great tennis player Arthur Ashe, who started on the dilapidated, segregated tennis courts of Richmond, Virginia, once said, start where you are. Use what you got. Do what you can. That was Daddy's theology. (laughs) Lord, you empower me. I'm going to obey you. And as Charles Stanley would say, and leave the consequences to you. Yeah, Amen. as he would say, now listen to me. Listen to me. Yep. <laughs> Charles, <clears throat> hey, hey uh, Rick, we are at the end of our time. I want to tell our listeners one oh, more time. I thought you <laughs> talked to the folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm t- Let, listen, lessons from a third grade dropout. You can go to Amazon.com, lessons from a third grade dropout. Afraid to no, hope. I don't want to. Yeah, afraid to hope. Uh, you, Not- can, yeah, you can go to uh, RickRigsby.com also. 
And Rick, just uh, we got about one minute. Uh, do you have any more books in the works right now? Or, or I know you're speaking a lot. Or do you have any more books coming out? Yes, the under contract writing the power of hope. Lord willing, it'll be out in 2024, The Power of Hope. Well, let's pray for you for that. We'll be praying for you. Again, you. if you ever get to Jacksonville, Brad and I are going to take you to Jenkins. Come on, you got to get here, all right? Smoke bologna sandwich, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you've been listening to Dr. Rick Rigsby. Hey, I hope you'll share this. You can uh, go to SWATradio.com and uh, get this program and share it with your friends. And let them be encouraged by what Dr. Rigsby uh, shared. Tomorrow, you'll have Brad and David back on. They'll be talking about this as well as what we talked about this week. And uh, our blessings to Dr. Rigsby. Pray for him.